Do me a favor and track down a Bible. They're in baskets down on the floor, down by your feet, and we're going to be in Acts chapter 6. So the Bibles we have here, that would be on page 887, 887. Um, I'm going to ask for your help. So tonight we're going to do a public forum event. We're going to invite a bunch of people to come out and talk about a couple of important and significant subjects. How do you know that God exists? And then the second one is, is the Bible reliable? And part of our time together will be a Q&A format. So the thing that we're going to do is we'll have people text in their questions, and it'll be a way for us to kind of uh, curate that and get all the questions together. Um, it goes to our Google voice number, and then Brad will take those, and he'll put them up on the screen. He'll cast them right back up here, and then we'll interact with questions. So you can help me out this morning by pu- pulling your phone out right now and getting queued up to send in a couple questions. And then at the end of the talk today, we'll interact with them, I'll interact with them, and uh, it's something that we've done. I, I did this for a number of years at our youth group, and, um, and it worked well, but we don't want tonight to be the first time that the technology is being tried out. So if you don't mind, please help me by doing that. Send in your questions while the message is going on. We won't have a ton of time, but I'll take maybe two of them and uh, interact with them. So make them good. Um, Acts chapter 6, here we go. Page 887, I'm going to read, and then we will pray and get to work. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Taman, Parmenaeus, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Let's pray. Lord, we... We're a young church, and we want nothing more than to organize and orchestrate our ministry according to your word. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us this morning to hear your voice. We're so grateful, God, that you give us a picture for how we can strategize for growth and for leadership and for developing new leaders and, and, and just getting a lot of people who are involved in the church engaged in ministry. And so, Lord, would you give us courage this morning? I'm sure there are people I'm sure there are people who are here who you have gifted God and you're going to call and nudge them into service today. And so Lord, by your spirit, would you be doing that? And as a church, would you help us to do a great job of creating systems and structures that will get more and more people introduced to your son? We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. All right, we're going to learn some lessons this morning from this story. The early church, we look at the early church and we always say, man, the early church was awesome. And it's kind of the model or the prototype, and we wish that we could go back there to Acts 2, if you will, and kind of have everything firing like that, like have our church feel like the early church. But what we find as we move through the book of Acts, they had issues as well, just normal stuff. They were dealing with people, and they had to make adjustments. And so in the book of Acts, we find things happening. And here, we're presented with this situation where a certain people group, the the widows of the certain people group, are being overlooked in the distribution of food. 
they have a program, some kind of feeding program, where they're looking after the widows, and this particular group of widows is actually being overlooked when that's happening, and so there's conflict. And, and what we find with conflict is that if you don't learn how to deal with it, it can disrupt everything. It can actually ruin everything. So the first lesson we see here is that relationships matter. The relationships that we have at church really, really matter. And we can't just assume that if worship is killer and the preaching's okay, that everyone's going to continue to show up and just be blessed by the ministry. There's a reality at play here that the church is made up of real people and we have real friendships and real interactions with one another. And if we don't pay attention to those interactions, we could actually do harm. That people could get hurt, that people could be offended, that people could be overlooked, and, and it has the potential then to destroy everything. Look with me at verse 1. It says, In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. There was a people who were being overlooked as food was being delivered. I don't know what the case was. I was reading commentators. Some of them said, yeah, that one group, they were further out in the rural communities. The one group was in the, more like in Jerusalem and interacting in the temple. So it was probably easier, you know, as an administrator just to figure out, well, they show up, so we're going to give them the food. And it would be hard to go out there into the, you know, far reaches of our community to get the food to them. Whatever the case might be, here's what we learn. When you're hurt, it hurts. It doesn't matter if it was intentional or unintentional. If you feel like you've been slighted or overlooked, it affects you. And, and you feel like, man, why, why, do, why won't they interact with me? Why don't they love me? If you feel that, that's real, regardless of whether or not it was intentional. And so relationships really matter. In our church, we need to pay attention to the friendships that we have and the small interactions that we go through. Because what can happen is if you feel that you've been slighted, this is, this is why there are church splits. I was reading, a, this is really weird, but I was reading about a situation where a church split and you go back to, well, what started it all? And the pastor got a smaller piece of ham than a kid sitting next to him at a church luncheon. And he got upset about that. And then that thing grew and developed into this huge problem for the entire church. That's what happens. If we don't pay attention to relationships, these little interactions that we have could end up becoming something that, that implodes on us. So we need to be careful that every time we're talking to people, we're creating what we call around here a gospel culture, a place that's safe, a place where if you feel hurt, you have the freedom and the permission, and you you even feel compelled to talk about it. So if something happens, you you go, okay, here's what I'm feeling right now. I'm going to go and address this issue. I'm not going to go talk with everyone else. We want to create a safe environment where we can give and receive feedback from one another. Now, that means that you know, the strategy the Bible lays out first off is that we go directly to the source. So if you get offended and you go, that person hurt me, or I'm not feeling, I felt like I got overlooked in some regard, you go first right to them, Matthew 18. You go as quick as you can and you be as honest as you can be. Here's what happened. I'm not sure if it was intentional or not, but here's how it made me feel. And I just need to let you know that I'm hurt by that. And in a gospel culture, that sort of interaction should feel normal. And sometimes people might say, man, I'm so sorry. I didn't intend for that to happen. I didn't mean to hurt you like that. And I'm sorry that it was received in that way. And sometimes you have to be honest enough to go, yeah, I did overlook you. And here's why. There was something in our relationship that I didn't feel right about. And I did this and and I'm really sorry. That's not okay. But a gospel culture creates a safe environment 
for people to, to bring their concerns forward. This group brings their concern before the leaders of the church and they say, here's what's happening. Some of the issues that we face will get to that level. Most of the stuff, if you got a little thing in your small group, you deal with it at that level, but some of it rises to the level of it's a systemic problem. There's something in our church that's unhealthy that the on-site elders need to know about, that the campus pastor needs to know about so we can make adjustments. But we need to create a culture where we realize relationships matter. It's a safe place for us to be honest, for us to experience the power of the gospel, for us to move toward one another, and, and for us to build deep bonds in Christ. That's what we're talking about. These relationships really, really matter. So let me just give you a couple quick examples. Um, so yesterday, Emily and I, uh, my sister-in-law, we're at the tree farm. I'm dropping off my daughter. She's dropping off her daughter. And she goes, hey, can, can Harper sell cookies? And uh, she's a Girl Scout and sold a ton of cookies to a lot of you guys. And so she's got this cartload of you know, cookies that needs to be delivered. And she goes, hey, could we just set up a table? And I said, we don't really do that. And then I go home, so we both peace out, and I go home, and I'm sitting there working on this, and I go, this is the kind of stuff that it can grow into something unhealthy, because here's where I would go. If I go to my church, and my daughter's selling cookies, and I say to the pastor, hey, can I sell some cookies at church? And he goes, we don't do that. What am I going to feel? I'm going to feel like, that's ridiculous. We're not a big church. We can figure this thing out. I can sell cookies. My daughter ought to be able to sell as many cookies as she wants. So I text Emily and I say, hey, look, I want to talk about this. I want to figure this thing out together. And she goes, yeah, no big deal. Not, a, not an issue at all. But the truth is those little interactions, if we don't pay attention to them, can be very problematic. If we feel like we're slighted, if we feel like we're overlooked, that feeling is real and it can do something to you. You can begin to interact with your church in a different way and you can feel like, I don't even want to be there. And this happens over and over and over again because we're sinful human beings. We, we talk to one another and we do this stuff. So I was thinking about, uh, here's another example. There are people who come to our church and they go, man, I like this. I like our church here. I like what's going on. I'm going to sign up to, to volunteer. And that'll happen. And the truth is we don't have a great system for it. So somebody signs up to volunteer and I say, yeah, I'll give you a call. And I never call them. What are they feeling? They're feeling like, okay, am I not good enough to serve here? Is there some kind of problem here? Do they not care that I'm willing to spend my time doing this thing? That feeling is a problem and we as a church have to address it. We have to figure out how can we design this differently so that people aren't getting hurt. And we have to be willing to say, we are sinners and I'm going to screw this thing up and I'm going to hurt people. So let's figure out how to collectively be a a community of grace, a gospel culture where we're pursuing relationships because they really, really matter. So relationships matter. That's the first thing that we learn. Here's the second thing we learn here. We learn that spiritual leadership matters. That when this issue is presented, the apostles, the leaders of that movement had to decide how they were going to respond. Were they going to step in and do something about it? And what was that going to look like? Now they could step in and have a hands-on approach and say, yes, this is an important ministry. This is, we're talking about widows here. We're talking about widows. God cares deeply about the orphans and the widows, and he wants us to, as his community of faith, have a great system for caring for these individuals. The Bible presents that over and over and over again. So they could have said, look, we're in. You know, we're going to help out. We're going to personally be involved in this thing, but here's what they do. They prioritize spiritual leadership, and they delegate the responsibility away. And it teaches us that spiritual leadership then really, really matters. Look with me at verse 2. 
So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. And it sounds harsh, but what they're saying is they want to make sure that they're doing what God has uniquely called them to do. It's not saying they're unwilling, right? This is the same group that not too previous to this event, they were sitting there having a meal with Jesus and he got up and he put a towel around his waist and he got a wash basin and he got down and he began washing people's feet. And he said to them, I've set an example for you. You need to do as I'm doing. And he tells them, this is what it looks like. Another, that's John 13. Another situation, the disciples are arguing, going, hey, can I be kind of you know, the head honcho in the kingdom? Can I sit right beside you and have all that glory? And Jesus says, no, if you want to be great in the kingdom, you serve. And there's this, there's this precedent then that spiritual leaders aren't people who are saying, we only do the high level stuff. We don't do any of the smaller tasks that other people can do. What this is suggesting is there's a prioritization where they're saying this is something God wants us to do and we're uniquely called to do it. So we're going to make sure that doesn't get left in the wayside. But man, if you're pursuing leadership around here, I was thinking this week and you say, hey, I want to sing on stage. And if I say, that's awesome. Could you sing for our infants and toddlers? And if you go, I don't do that. That's a problem because we want leaders who recognize th- that they should be willing to serve wherever. If you say, hey, Cor, I want to you know, lead something from the front, and I go, that's awesome. Can you hang out with our rowdy elementary kids a couple weekends and just you know, kind of get into the habit of teaching out there? If you go, no way, I don't, I don't do that. I'm talking about big stage. Like I want to be in front of the adults doing the, the grown-up stuff. If, if we don't have a willingness to do whatever's necessary, then I don't think we're really spiritual leaders. So for me, I'm, I'm not suggesting that I'm going to go away from this morning and say, guys, here's what I do. I do the ministry of the word and the prayer, and I don't do anything else. No, that's not how it works. But there has to be this priority that that stuff can't get left behind. So spiritual leadership really matters. Look how they deal with it here. It says in verses 3 and following, we will turn this responsibility over to these other individuals that they've identified, and we will give our attention to prayer in the ministry of the word. I love how it's put uh, by a couple, couple authors. They say, pastors are sacrificed from the front line of ministry in order to equip and train everyone else for the front line of ministry. I don't want to be the one doing a lot of the work. I want to figure out how to help you identify your spiritual gifts and get after it. And I see my calling as, I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to use the word to try to shape and mold you so that you're doing that in the, in the name of Christ. But that ministry then is the ministry of word and the ministry of prayer. I'm just going to talk about this for a minute because you might wonder, what does this dude do during the week? Right? I don't know if you've ever thought about what a pastor does during the week. One of our guys, James, he came into my office one time and he said, I just imagine you sitting at your desk with your feet up with pencils, like drumming, like listening to music. I was like, well, that's pretty right on. Um, but what, what does a pastor do? How am I supposed to prioritize my work week according to this agenda? Well, the ministry of the word means that this thing has to have, it has to have something in my schedule, that the, the word of God has to show up in the way that I order my time. And I remember reading about um, Billy Graham, I don't know if you're familiar with him, very famous believer, and he talked about if he were to do his ministry over again, the one thing he might change is how much he studied. Because he felt that it was very important for him to be saturated in the word of God so he could share that with other people. I have to spend time in the word myself. That's a part of, in my opinion, that's a part of my job description. 
And so I want that to, to show up in my workflow as I read and pray over the word and think about how it applies in my own life. And, and I want that to, to be a, a sacred part of my schedule. The other part of ministry that we find here is the ministry of prayer. And uh, this is something that I want to grow in this year. I want to I get better at praying. I'm developing rhythms in my own life for, for private prayer, for personal prayer. As I think about our meeting time, there, there are way too many times, and you guys will know this when I say it, there are way too many times where I use prayer as a filler. It's a transition. We're going from this to that. Let's pray. I don't want prayer to feel like that. I want it to feel like it's one of the main things we do. So that prayer is, is given time and space and it's thought through and we're, we're trying to shape you guys to think about how you could talk to God as well when you go away from here. The ministry of prayer is important. The early church practiced it. I want there to be time in my schedule. I did it this week where I just sat down with, with the directory of people who come to McChesney Park and I just prayed by name over you guys, praying for you. And I want to get to know what's happening in your lives because I really want to be lifting you before the throne of grace continually, talking to God, saying, hey, this is going on in their life. Lord, would you bless them and uh, have your favor on them? So they devoted themselves to the ministry of the word and prayer. They were elevating this idea of spiritual leadership. Here's why this really matters. We can engage in significant and important ministry, but if we lose the pulse beat of what God has called us to do, we lose the whole thing. It is possible to do very, very important ministry, but if it's not informed by the gospel of God's grace, it can just become activity. And um, D.A. Carson, he puts it like this. He, he says, we're, we're only ever two generations away from losing the gospel. The first generation believes the gospel and they think through implications and they say, if we believe the gospel, we should care for widows and we should be people who are the first to go, go and do something for them. That's gen generation number one. The second generation though assumes the gospel. Here's what we do. We care for widows. This is just a part of who we are. But if they don't connect the dots between what they're doing and the gospel of God's grace, there's just one more generation left that will have lost it. They don't even understand what the gospel is. So it's very important as a church that we say, everything that we do in all these important ministries, we're going to continually let the word inform and shape how we do them. Because it's possible for us to lose out on the most important factor of it, that God loves us and sent his son, and that motivates us to do this ministry. Let me give you two examples. I'm not sure how helpful it'll be. I didn't have time to really look at all the details, but, but you're familiar that, it, that this is possible, right? That a Christian organization or even a church can lose uh, a sense of its identity if it doesn't continue to hold up the word of God in prayer as, as the motivating factor. So the one, the one that came to mind this week is the YMCA. I don't know if you're familiar, but they were, it was founded by Christians. Um, it's called the Young Men's Christian Association. The early founders thought hey, we want to create environments for people to be discipled, for them to not only spiritually work out, but physically work out and great, great places for people to come. And throughout the, again, I didn't look at all the details, but what, what has happened? I mean, as I say that, there's probably people in here who go, huh, I never knew that. I just see it as a gym. Like, it's just a place that I go, I might swim there. I had no idea that it had this heritage of Christianity. Now, I, again, I don't know all the details, but I'm just saying they didn't set out to have to be a church in the first place. But if you don't have something that continually draws you back to what God is calling you to be and do, it's very easy to drift. And um, 
Salvation Army, same thing, but many churches, same thing. We start out well with good intentions, but it's easy to just get into the rhythm and the habit of doing things without really thinking about why we do them in the first place. And so we need to prioritize spiritual leadership because that holds the line. That helps us to to recognize we're doing this because we're motivated by the gospel. Now here's the third lesson that we see. Not only is spiritual leadership important, not only are relationships important, but it's important that every Christian figures out their gifts and puts them to work. And we see that here in our, in our story as the, the individuals are identified. They're gifted. They're, they're wise. And so we want to put them in charge of this important ministry that we have. Verse 3, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We'll turn this responsibility over to them. And what they're doing then is they're acknowledging this is such an important ministry that we want to make sure that we get gifted people doing it. This is so important that we're not going to do it. There's actually people who are better gifted and suited to do this ministry. We, we want them on board. We want them engaged. So as a pastor, here's what I think about. I think about how is it that we could help every person who's a part of the McChesney Park campus figure out what their gift mix is and then figure out how to put that gift mix to work for the glory of God. How cool would that be if this is like what I do is like one small, tiny part of this radical reality of a church that people are engaged in ministry? So what would it look like to evaluate for gifts and then delegate according to that gift mix? And, and I think that's what's happening in this story, that they're evaluating and they're saying, here are these individuals. We know them to be full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. And so then they get paired up with this assignment to care for the widows there. So how do we do that around here? One thing that I would encourage you to do, because when I talk to people, they say, I have no idea what my gift mix is. I don't know what I'm gifted to do. How, do I, how would I figure that out? And the first piece of suggestion I would give you is get to work. Start doing stuff and then feel your way through it. You might try something and go, uh, that wasn't really a blessing to anyone, including myself. I'm not going to do that thing again, but I'll try this now. And you just keep doing it until you begin to get a sense of when I do this, I feel God's pleasure and other people are helped by it. And, and as you begin to figure that out, it's very, very exciting. But another thing that you could do is you could go, you could take a, a gifts assessment. We've got a spiritual gifts assessment on our website. If you go to centralmchesneypark.com and you click on next steps volunteer, right at the bottom, you can take this online spiritual gifts assessment. You, it's 10 bucks, you purchase it. Email will come through with the directions you punch that stuff in and it'll help you because it'll ask a bunch of questions. And it's not, it's not fail-proof. It's not like, yes, this is my gift. It's in stone. I have it in my report. But it at least gives you a sense of how God has filled you with his spirit and called you to do ministry. And then what we want to do is figure out how to get that going. And some of that will show up on Sunday morning. Some of it will not. Ryan Nekreiner, he's not here this morning. He and his wife, Christy, usually sit right over here. And um, he's a principal at a middle school that's ministry. So he's got a Monday to Friday ministry. He's, he's loving on kids. He's serving, you know, the, the faculty there. Um, he's, doing, he's doing ministry. But you know what else he does? He volunteers with our partner, JJM. And he's, he's mentoring troubled teens. He's spending time doing that. So, so here's what I'm saying. I'm not asking you to tell me your gift mix so that I can hijack your life and then put you to work on Sunday. I just want to know that you're aware of your gift and then I want to help you engage in, in serving other people with that. 
So Ryan, I'm never going to call him up and go, hey, dude, I need you to back down from JJM. I need help on Sunday. That's never going to happen. Some of you will serve away from here, and we're going to celebrate that, and we're going to pray for you and support you in that. But every believer has a gift, and all those gifts should be employed for the glory of God. Here's, here's the fourth thing we see here. Systems matter then. One of the reasons why they're experiencing trouble here is because they're growing. It's a growing, the, the number of disciples was growing. Now they're having a hard time managing and orchestrating ministry. So it's important that we have good systems to help people know, here's a clear next step. Here's what I need to do in order to be cared for. Here's what I need to do in order to serve. And we need systems. And the system they employed was, let's find some other people and let's delegate to them and let's make sure that they're going to carry this ministry and make sure that it happens well. And when we, in, when we invest in systems, it actually becomes a blessing for the whole church. Look at verses 5 and 6. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and also Philip and a bunch of dudes I can't pronounce. Verse 6, they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. There's this clear process clear process. Here's how we're going to identify them. Here's how we're going to put them forward. Here's, how, here's the, the pathway for them to be engaged in ministry. We need clear systems to help people engage in significant ministry. And this week, I've been challenged by not only members of our church, but also the Word of God. As I'm thinking through, right now, we're trying to onboard more people doing part-time hours. This is really, you know, I'm, I'm not able to do the job that you guys need from me. And so we're trying to figure out how can we get more people doing some stuff throughout the course of the week, making sure that ministry is happening. And I'm looking at this process going, I need to make sure that we do this the way that God wants it. That I don't just kind of handpick people and put them in, in positions, but that you guys can say, here's who we think fits this, this role. Here's who we think would be great at this assignment here. And, and the system ought to be transparent and clear where there's choosing, acknowledging, presenting and appointing people to the ministry areas. And so that's where we're at right now. We want to make sure that that's clear for everyone and that you guys could be on board with it, that it would please the whole group as we continue to try to strategize for growth. Now, I'm going to end here in just a minute, and you might be thinking, okay, dude, that's great that you care about the church so much and you want to do a good job organizing it. What does this have to do with us? Like, what does this have to do with us? I just came because I'm broken and I'm hurting and, and I just, I want to hear something that would encourage me. And here's, here's what I need you to see. When we care about the church and when we organize the church well, it's a blessing to everyone. Uh, the gospel is able to go forward when we think through how the gospel ought to inform our structures and our organization. Look at verse seven. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Here's what it's saying. When you pay attention to all of this stuff within the church, it gives a platform for the gospel to look very attractive. If relationships are open and honest and we can be clear when we're hurting and we can go to one another and experience reconciliation and grace, if it's a safe environment for that to happen, if the word is consistently held forth and prayers happening and we're just prioritizing spiritual leadership and that motivates the ministries, if we've got a bunch of people who know their gift mix and they're putting that to work, if we do all of this stuff that we've been talking about, the gospel spreads. It spreads. It becomes this beautiful reality that isn't just talked about, but it's experienced. Organizing the church well helps the gospel to go forward. And I hope that you're with me in desiring that that's what we do here. 
that we as a church say we really want the gospel to be great news for people. We want people who are far from God to come and hear about the saving grace of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. I hope you'll join me. I hope you'll put your gifts to work. I hope that we'll do this thing together. I'm going to pray. We'll spend a couple minutes doing questions, and then uh, we'll, we'll close out our time with some, some worship. But let's pray. Lord, right now, I, I continue to ask, Lord, that you would inspire us to figure out what our gifts are and be willing to use them for, for the kingdom. And um, we have the power in here to change our community. I mean, it's just a reality that your spirit in us is no joke. It is incredible. And Lord, I, I repent of just doing church in a way where it's so stage-centered, where a person and bands get up in front and everyone else just kind of watches. Lord, I want to change the dynamic to where church and ministry is mainly happening in the lives of our people. And so, Lord, would you help us to embrace that that radical vision for church life? And would you help us to believe that that's going to be a beautiful and an exciting way to do life and ministry? Lord, I pray for the relationships in here. Maybe this morning was a, a reminder that something's not right. Somebody's hurt. Somebody feels overlooked. Somebody um, is just playing wounded right now. And would you give them the courage to move toward whoever it is that they feel hurt them? And would you give all of us, God, the ability to acknowledge our limitations and our faults, acknowledge how the things that we do, even if it's unintentional, might actually do a ton of harm. Help us to be a gospel culture, a gospel community, a place where the good news of Jesus is proclaimed and it's experienced. And we pray this, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, we'll do, uh, looks like, two, we'll do two questions. Do you think there will, be, there will come a time in our future that we will combine our resources like the people in Acts? Um, great question. So if I'm understanding it correctly, if you read the book of Acts, it was this very beautiful community experience where people were willing to say, you know, um, I'll sell a piece of property and I will give the proceeds of that property to the ministry of the church and just make sure that anyone who has a need, uh, will, that, that need will be met. And so that's a good question because you look at Acts and you go, man, that's kind of how they lived. Now, the question is, do you think we're ever going to get there? And my honest answer is, in fits and starts, I think that there are things that we can do to move us toward a greater experience of loving our neighbor like ourselves. But the truth is, I think we're all so selfish that it's going to be really, really hard. And we live in a culture and a society that prizes individualism. So we privatize everything, including our resources, and we think, yeah, I'm happy to give a check to the church, but for me to open up my life to help somebody who's hurting, well, I don't know about that. That's pretty radical. Now, I do think that as we continue to open the word together and we see the beauty of what this can look like, we will move in that direction, that we will actually begin to care for people more than we care for our stuff and care for you know, our comforts and being private and all the the ways that we do that right now. I think that the gospel moves us in that direction. And I would love to, uh, uh, you know, as a leader, I'd love to kind of push in that direction and say, yeah, let's, let's try more and more things to move in that direction. And I really do think that our, the experience we have in groups where we're developing deep relationships with one another and, and encouraging and coaching in that setting, I think that that probably has the greatest potential for it to become real.
So if you're in a group and you're, you're a leader, um, we're trying to push you to think through how could you sincerely care for these people so that within the experience in your group, if somebody has a need, you guys are collectively figuring that thing out. Uh, and it's getting real. And it's not just something that we, you know, a, an idealistic goal. And we go, yeah, we should do that. And I preach on it from the front, but we want it to actually happen. And so I think the group setting is a good place for that to, to occur. But again, I think God will move us in that direction. And I'm confident that he's powerful enough to do that. I also acknowledge that we're selfish. I'm selfish. I like my time. I like my stuff. I don't like giving it away. And so I imagine that it's going to be hard for us, but not impossible. God, God is in the business of doing impossible things. Let's, uh, let's do another question. How do you suppose those assigned to serve were identified? Um, I'm, this is, that's a great question. I'm going to guess that it was public information. And here's what I mean by it. Uh, they were being given a very significant and important ministry. Um, to look after the, the widows in their community. And I think what they were acknowledging was the fact that there were some people that kind of came to the surface, that they had a maturity about them, a wisdom, a, a, something that everyone could say, oh, n- no kidding, that, that person is wise. Like we put that person in charge, no problem there. But also that spiritual, uh, the Holy Spirit is filling these people. I think that was also public knowledge. Um, so here's how I think we should evaluate then. There, there ought to be closeness in our lives to where we could say that with integrity. So we need to be spending time together so that we could identify that stuff. And I do think that certain, certain gifts like wisdom and you know, being full of the Holy Spirit should be, should be evident. And I think we can evaluate kind of the maturity, the spiritual maturity of people. Um, and, and we should be thinking, Spiritual leaders are those who, they display that high level of character. And that's exactly as you look at kind of the qualifications for deacons, which I think this group initially becomes. You look at the qualifications in 1 Timothy for deacons and then for elders. What's the list? Well, it's all kinds of character stuff. You're supposed to be able to examine their lives and say, these people have an evident godliness. They do things the way they manage their household, the way that they do life, the way that they're known in the community. They're, they're, it's just clear. But that's kind of how we gauge and evaluate whether or not somebody has that spiritual maturity and whether or not they're gifted and filled with the Spirit for, for service. And so I think that's where we need to go. Um, you know, it's too easy to just kind of put together a job description and go, can you do that? It's a lot better to look at a life and go, how are you living? Does this stuff really affect how you, how, how you do life? And I think that's how we need to evaluate around here. I appreciate you guys helping me this morning. Um, c- please do come back tonight. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I won't be the only one up here, so I think it'll be good. Uh, but let me pray. I'll invite the band to come, and we'll do one more song together. Lord, would you right now help us to, um, help us to sing to you? You, you are a good God. And sometimes talking about church and talking about all this stuff can feel overwhelming. And, and, and it can quickly be riddled with opinions and preferences. And we can have all kinds of different suggestions for how to go about this stuff. But at the end of the day, here's what we're going to acknowledge. You are Lord of your church. You love your bride. And we just want to be people who are by faith walking in what you reveal for us. 
At the Machesney Park campus, here's what we want, God. We want to be the kind of church that you are smiling at. So help us, God, to pursue that together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.